This is a relay project. The discourse starts right now with Cheryl Oates and Erica Barudis. Welcome back to the discourse. We have a very exciting show for you today, starting with a listener who's called in a question that they want us to discuss. So let's go to that listener now, Premier Danielle Smith. Hey, Cheryl and Erica. So glad you guys are doing this podcast. It's really important to get people talking about issues from different perspectives. So I've given you something to talk about this week. We invoked for the first time a motion under the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act to protect Alberta's constitutional jurisdiction to build out our own electricity grid in the face of the federal government continuing to plow ahead with their unconstitutional clean electricity regulations that would impose a net zero power grid by 2035. But given the fact that they've lost now two court cases on constitutional issues saying that they have to stay in their own lane, what I'm wondering is why it is that they keep on barreling ahead with this rather than backing down and respecting the constitution. Well, Cheryl, I know that the Liberal government is not your party, but given the Notley Trudeau alliance and <laughs> Rachel's position on 2035, can you maybe shed some light on why the federal government continues to barrel forward with 2035 as their goal, um, despite provinces across our nation and experts saying that it's not just unconstitutional, but it's also unfeasible? First of all, I will not pretend to have insight into what the federal government or its ministers are thinking, but I like I think it's reasonable to say they're probably wondering the same thing about Danielle Smith. Like I think across the board, especially in Alberta, um every party including the opposition, the government and stakeholders have all said the clean energy regulations as proposed are just not going to work. And it felt like maybe we were making progress there. Like there is a working group who, you know, the minister has been out there saying, you know, if we need to extend the grandfathering in of natural gas uh, facilities, we can look at doing that. Let's work with Alberta to make this work. And just as that's happening, Daniel Smith invokes the Sovereignty Act. So to me, like I understand the political gain that comes from the Sovereignty Act. And I think we should dig into that strategy a bit. But at the same time, like, why now? Why, what makes sense? Like, we, it felt like we were making progress, and this feels like it would inhibit that pro progress. Yeah, and I know we're going to dig in a little bit more to the why of the Sovereignty Act. Um, sticking to the federal government side, like, to me, I also see Guibault, like, not backing down. This is kind of, like, seems like a legacy piece for him, and that there is a lot of falling on deaf ears that we've seen to this point. So, you know, if we're coming to why did the, the government do it now, I think it was the symbolic gesture in which is the Sovereignty Act to say, you know, listen clearly, this is across the board uh, of all of our provincial leaders, like, let's focus on the fact that we're all working towards the same goal. It's just the timeline that we we disagree with. And I just, I don't, I can't figure out what Guibault's strategy is. And I don't think, like you said, you know, the, the secrets behind the liberal curtain, but can you, <laughs> can you gather, like, to me, it's a very political move as opposed to a, a policy centric one. Totally. And honestly, I, th I imagine that some of the political strategy that the federal government is employing here is the same strategy that Daniel Smith is employing. I mean, truly, every government, every successful government, every successful politician leans into a really strong political narrative where they can be the hero. And in order to do that, 
they always need a villain and they always need a threat. And Daniel Smith, you know, the Sovereignty Act is absolutely unnecessary. She said so herself to do the things that she's talking about doing. But if if we look at what her goals are here, she's back on the front page. She's on, she's the talk of the town in terms of politics. She's on every radio show. People across the country are talking about her. And she is clearly demonstrating to Albertans that she's going to stand up for them and fight for Alberta no matter what. Is this going to get us where we need to be in terms of policy? I don't think so. But politically speaking, it's a strategy that has been employed over and over and over again. And we've seen it work throughout time. And in fact, Rachel Notley herself used the strategy many times, specifically in this sector. Yeah, when we're talking about the behind the scenes strategy of, you know, doing this, like you said, there's a lot of voices saying 2035 from industry to provincial leaders to, you know, experts in the field saying that 2035 is not realistic. Um, and I think, you know, what I, I see from the from Premier Smith is she's actually elevated herself amongst everyone else as well. So politically, yeah, she is the champion of this. It's no surprise that, you know, <clears throat> driving the narrative of standing up for Alberta is, is something that she's really going to lean into. Um, I want to come back to what you had said, because I think it's interesting for us to understand from the Alberta perspective is like, why won't the federal government let the 2035 go? And I mean, you have a NDP leader here, Rachel Notley, who also seems to tie, you know, be tied to this 2035. So again, like, where do you see even the NDP going with this? Um, or where are they going to distance themselves from, if at all, from the federal government's position? Well, they have distanced themselves. And I think you've seen Rachel Notley do that in the way that she has since she became leader of the party, which is a really thoughtful look at the regulations and a detailed submission on what she thinks could be better. The NDP in Alberta is not saying the clean energy regulations are awesome and we should move forward with them and Daniel Smith is wrong in opposing them. They're saying there are very specific pieces of this that could be done better if we want to decarbonize our grid by 2035. And the NDP is also saying that if we want to be a net zero province by 2050, this is a necessary step. Experts have backed that up in terms of getting there. Um, when we look about at the federal government, I think we have to remember too, that most of the country, for most of the country, it isn't the massive leap to a decarbonized grid that it is for Alberta and Saskatchewan. So, I mean, Guibault is talking to all Canadians when he makes his pitch. He's looking for a villain. He's got one. He's looking for a threat. He's got one. Um, and if he's trying to win over, you know, Quebec or other jurisdictions, which for most of Canada is already 80% non-emitting electricity, um, I think we have to remember that we're we're sort of a smaller piece of that. And they, surprise, surprise, might not be thinking of Alberta first when they think of this stuff. Yeah. So as an Albertan, I mean, that's what we have in common. I clearly don't like uh, the minister. I don't think what he's doing is fair for Alberta or Saskatchewan. But do you think that this is the liberal government giving an FU to to the prairies? Like, how do you how do you see that paying out? And how do you feel as an Albertan that, again, they're not showing that one size does not fit all? Yeah, I mean, I think I, like, I truly felt like there was progress to be made here. And I think it's a little premature, whether the Sovereignty Act is the right tool or not, to oppose regulations that are not regulations yet. Like these are still in a consultation phase. And I like, like I said, I felt like there was progress being made. And I think you have to see that through and you have to at least take the government at their word that they're going to listen and they're going to make changes. And when they don't follow through and don't make changes, then blow it all up. 
But this just seems like a weird, weirdly timed intervention if the federal government was willing to listen. Now, knowing what you know, and given these are not either your parties, who do you think is going to uh, keep pushing ahead if if it's both or neither? And who do you think is going to come out on top of uh, this back and forth of 2035 versus 2050? Well, it's an interesting question. And I think some of it depends on how the regulations are ultimately drafted. Daniel Smith has said, listen, the government's been losing Supreme Court challenges. They have uh, overreached in terms of jurisdiction. And this is clearly Alberta's jurisdiction. But I think we also have to remember that through those Supreme Court challenges and through the decisions that have ultimately come down, the federal government has learned some lessons. And there's a huge bureaucracy there looking at how they draft um cross-Canada rules that fit within the decisions that have come down from the Supreme Court. So I think we can expect that the next uh, iteration of clean energy regs will fit within what they believe is their jurisdiction. So before we get to our second segment, I want to take a second and talk about one of our incredible sponsors. Now, do you feel like you need more background on some of the topics we discuss on our show? Our sponsor, Pocket Lobbyist, is your one-stop shop to understand information about how the government works, what's happening in Alberta politics. And what I find the most valuable about being a member is their briefing notes. I like to think that I know more than the average person about the electricity file and how the Alberta grid operates. But I just read their briefing note on electricity and I was blown away about how detailed their document was while also explaining it in a way that was digestible for everyone. If you want to know more about specific topics or broadly what's happening, sign up today at pocketlobbyist.com and join as a member. If you do so before December 31st, you will get two months free. That's a savings of $300. So make sure to use our discount code DXPMONTHLY. That's D-X-P-M-O-N-T-H-L-Y. All right, Cheryl. So yeah, as I was saying before, our next segment is of a similar vein, uh, but it's a little bit more local on the Sovereignty Act, what's happened, the the why behind the motion this week, um, what the opposition is saying and doing, and what would Rachel do? So let's first go to exactly what uh, Rachel, the leader of the official opposition, had to say this week. Is the rule of law something that is respected in this house or is it not? So uh, today, uh, Danielle Smith will be giving notice of her plan to invoke the Sovereignty Act. We would never vote in favour of the motion because it is uh, premised on a piece of legislation which is illegal in multiple forms. It misstates the law. It essentially codifies the fact that the province of Alberta is now going to, as a matter of course, break the law. That's not how you build the economy. Investors and, and other folks understand that this is not uh, legally sound legislation. And so the fact that our premier is still going ahead with it sends a very, very troubling message to people outside of the province as well as people inside the province. So Cheryl, what would Rachel do and what does she mean by all of this? Because I don't see in the legislation where it's quote unquote illegal. Like I'm laughing as I watch that clip because it is just like that clip is just so Rachel. As you likely know, Rachel is a lawyer. And so when she looks at this stuff, she's looking at it. Is it legal? Does it violate the existing laws? And what does it mean to Albertans? And I think we like it has long been said it, as the Sovereign Act was introduced that this legislation 
brings a lot of uncertainty to Alberta. When you have one government that is willing to step in and override the existing laws, that brings uncertainty and instability to a sector where we're looking for companies to make pretty big investments. And if you're a company looking at Alberta saying, well, this government can change whatever law they want whenever they want, or at least they believe they can, um, that's not good for business. And so I think what you see here is Rachel's taking a really close look at the writing. She's taking a really close look at the motion. And and she's saying what many people are thinking and that it's just it's not good for uh, certainty in Alberta. And it's really not good for Alberta's reputation. But does it score Daniel Smith political points? Absolutely. And I think Rachel Notley knows that more than, you know, anyone. So having served as premier and having played this game a number of times herself, you remember uh, when we're talking about looking for that villain and standing up for Alberta, Jane Fonda visited Alberta and flew over the oil sands about seven years ago. And we had this discussion internally in the premier's office. This is an awesome opportunity to go up and hammer down anyone who stands up against us, especially those who want to use us for their own gain and don't have the facts right. And she trotted at a press conference and she said she's dining out on her celebrity and she's starved for facts. And it's, you know, smaller scale. It was probably a one or two day story rather than staking her entire political reputation on it. But it's 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 in the same vein. And Rachel demonstrated her, through her career that she she does understand where the benefit from this comes from. Well, I will give Rachel credit that she read the motion because it was longer than the <laughs> press release. Oh, Lord, like, I feel like I needed a break to get through it. Um, and, you know, I don't agree that it's illegal. I think that it is very much um, a symbolic and communication piece of legislation. Uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing them use it for. Now, I know you shared a little bit of your behind the scenes. I was the person in the office when after you know we were on the transition team we were going through what was some of the first actions of the government under premier smith and obviously the sovereignty act was a big discussion around uh the table i can confidently say that i was like i hate this this is ridiculous all of these things at the time um because i didn't see the value of it and then for a year now since it's been introduced and passed we've seen the federal government you know received two unconstitutional decisions on previous things that they act on that Alberta has fought them on, even going to the extreme um, Supreme Court cases. So I'm like, okay, you know, maybe at first I didn't really understand this quote unquote tool that we want to use. And there was, you know, no intention of using it. I'd always said, okay, fine, get it in, get it done, pass it through. And then hopefully we never have to use this. Now I'm sitting there being like, well, I'm kind of happy we have to use this. And I'll say that's from two sides. One, for the political opportunity that it it brings and gives, um, you know, a stage for Premier Smith to talk about how unfair and unjust uh, the federal government has been treating Alberta and a lot of other provinces. But also because it starts paving a way uh, for Albertans to understand how we can actually stand up to to Ottawa, because we saw that under Premier Kenny, and and unfortunately until the C sixty nine result came in, which he had kind of been um, at the helm of, there wasn't a lot of that action happening. So I do see the strategic benefit of the Sovereignty Act, and so I do have to say to my colleagues, I guess I was not one hundred percent accurate on <laughs> what I said in the office. Um, but one of the things I think is like obviously Rachel Notley cannot support the Sovereignty Act. Um, it, it doesn't 
you know, it doesn't speak to her core values. She's been consistent in saying that. I think saying now that it's a good play, even if it's a political recognition, she won't do it because she, you know, politically can't, can't spin that or, or say that to her, to her colleagues. Um, but where is she going to, where is she going to play on this 2035 plan? And what is she going to do to, you know, does she just have to lean in and own it forever, even though it's not, not realistic because it comes back to more this, you know, how she's positioning Danielle Smith versus what is actually a pragmatic approach. Um, so I'm curious on, on how you think, uh, Rachel's going to navigate this one because, you know, it's all signs point to 2035 is not realistic, but she's kind of leaned in pretty hard for the last few months on it. I don't think you're going to see her change. Like, I don't think you're seeing her oppose the Sovereignty Act because it's, you know, she's the opposition and she needs to oppose it. I think you're seeing her oppose the Sovereignty Act because she believes that it's illegal. She believes that it's bad for Alberta and she believes that it violates treaty rights. Um, I don't think that that's posturing. You could like if you watch her in the clip, she has clearly read the motion. She has clearly read the act. She's a lawyer and she doesn't think it's the right thing for Alberta. So I don't think any of that. Of course, it helps for the opposition to oppose. Um, but I don't think that's why she's doing it. And on 2035, the NDP has submitted like a pretty detailed paper to the federal government on the issues that they see with the current regulations. And uh, like a lot of the like the uh, need for natural gas beyond that is acknowledged in the paper. So I don't think they're saying, you know, we need to shut everything down by 2035. I think they're saying like moving to decarbonize our grid by 2035 is a necessary step if we want to get as a province to net zero by 2050. Um, and I don't think you're going to see her move off of that. I think I think that's where she's going to stay throughout this entire debate. And I would appreciate if she, you know, did come around and and got out of the 2035 and more into like the pragmatic approach of what is in the best interest of Alberta. And I think it is moving towards net zero, um, looking at alternative uh, energy sources, things like that. The one thing I cannot stand, like the illegal thing aside, because I'm not a lawyer, I'm not going to pretend that I can um, get into the nitty gritty of the legislation. It like burns me to my core that she keeps saying it's a like it's bad for investment or it's going to kill jobs. Like you can't say that when Q2 numbers have come out today on, you know, for repeated quarter after quarter about job creation and population growth in the province, where we saw $9 billion being invested by Dow um, to create a net zero project in Alberta. We've seen growth of, of all industries coming across to our province and calling it home. So I feel like I'm getting a little tired of her sitting there and being like, oh, it's it's not giving certainty for investment. It's been around for a year. And all we've done since announcing the Sovereignty Act is seeing growth within the Alberta economy. Okay. Let's back up two things. I just want to uh, address that you said one, that Rachel's not got a pragmatic approach, like a pragmatic approach like politics aside, a pragmatic approach is to sit down and say, we don't like this idea because it's bad for Alberta. Maybe it's great for Canada. It's not good for Alberta. And we have a better approach. And we have a made in Alberta plan that we believe can get us there while we continue to grow our industry. That's a pragmatic approach. Danielle Smith's Sovereignty Act, pol politics aside, is not a pragmatic approach. So let's just leave that there. And then uh, when it comes to Q2 growth versus the Sovereignty Act. Like the Sovereignty Act was just used. That gun was just put on the mantle. So I don't think you can look at Q2 and say, 
we have, well, the Sovereignty Act's been out for forever and we haven't seen impacts from it. Like now is when the impacts come. Now is when uh, potential investors look and say, this is what the government is willing to do. And this is what the invocation of this act might look like. And that's not good for us. And I don't think you'll see it across the board. I think it's specific sectors that, you know, uncertainty and instability are real factors for. But this is the same song note she's been singing. It's like she's repeated it since Danielle Smith is running in the leadership race that, oh, electing Danielle Smith will bring in the Sovereignty Act and jobs will be lost and no one's going to want to invest here. So I wouldn't say it's because they use the act or not. I think the creation of the act was the big the big step here. So, you know, why is she driving that same narrative? And I, I find sometimes with her, the theme is like misleading or fear mongering um, to, to change people's opinions, as opposed to what I think she's co- totally capable of and leading with facts and figures. Well, I think she does both. Like you see her in that clip, she's doing both. She is a person who is obviously her values run deep, but also a person who reads the motions, reads legislation and relies heavily on facts. I'm not surprised at all that you see a political party repeating one message over and over again. That is the way that you get through to people. That is the way that you start to spin a story. And in Alberta, you've seen real progress because of it. During the election, off topic, but the same sort of strategy, you saw the NDP lean heavily into the idea that Daniel Smith and the UCP were going to make you pay to see a family doctor. And the UCP denied that it was willing to do that. But you did see the government come out and sign a declaration saying that they would never take away public health care. And I think that Albertans uh, owe that Um, guarantee to the NDP because it pushed the government to get there by repeating that message over and over and over again. So yeah, if you're watching every day, if you're um, looking at what Rachel Notley is saying every day and dissecting it, maybe that message gets old and stale to you, but that's how you break through and that's how you start to have an impact. And I think she's going to keep doing it because honestly, I think it's working. And I'm all for, I know the strategy of, you know, reiterating a point and the communication of it, because, you know, we both come from communications. You got to say something like seven times before someone (laughs) hears it. And to politicians, yeah, I was going to say, you always say to a politician, like, you're going to be so annoyed and feel like all you say is like jobs, economy pipelines, right? Like that from the 2019 (laughs) election. It was great. (laughs) And it worked, (laughs) but, um, but those are the types of things like you feel face So I get why she's consistent in her messaging. I'll say that. But I think it's the tone that I'm seeing that it's like very much where it's, it's again, so negative, so extreme. And I just don't understand after, you know, that was some of the sentiment that came out of the election is that her, her sentiment or her tone was not well received. I just don't know why she's returned to that type of, of tone and approach on issues like this, as opposed to, again, like you said, just driving that single message. I think it's more about how she's doing it than what she's saying. Yeah. And I mean, like on the other side of that, Rachel Notley's approach to politics and her tone and her demeanor has been incredibly successful for the NDP. The party is bigger and stronger than it has ever been. We had the most election success we've ever had. Like, Maybe, and especially for UCP supporters, you don't like it, but it's working. Like she is a very smart uh, politician with huge convictions. And, you know, if she comes off as the smartest person in the room when she's delivering her messaging, it's probably because she is. Um, Like that, it's not for everybody. 
it's not uh, it's not the the sort of approach that everybody appreciates, and it's certainly not the kind of populist politics you see from a lot of politicians. Um, but it's working, and it's worked for her for a long time. None of this would be possible without our great partners, uh, and one of those partners is California Closets. They offer beautiful functional designs for all of your organizational needs. They do closets, they do office spaces, they do Murphy beds and entertainment centers, all with custom built personalized storage that is exactly what you want, where you want it. Can you imagine how satisfying it will be to put things away when everything has a place? For more information, log on to californiaclosets.ca. Well, the Premier of Alberta and Minister Schultz are heading to COP28 in Dubai this week. COP, which stands for Conference of the Parties, referring to the signatories of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, an agreement signed by over 150 governments in 1992, uh, and also a conference that uh, Premier Notley attended in 2015, and I got the chance to go with her. But she went with a very different message. In 2015, the NDP, a relatively new government, had just introduced sweeping change in policy um, and introduced Alberta's climate leadership plan, um, which positioned Alberta as one of the most progressive energy producing jurisdictions in the world. And we went to COP to tell the world and tell potential investors and tell potential partners that we were open for business and that we were keeping up with the trends in, ter in terms of being a responsible energy producer. Daniel Smith? has to go with a different message. That can't be her message. Erica, what is she taking to uh, COP in Dubai? Well, I think what you'll see is uh, what we've seen a little bit of this past two weeks. I think the government has actually done a really good job of the communication rollout, or let's call it roll up, to, to COP29. Uh, you saw an announcement around uh, hitting methane targets uh, three years early. You saw, again, the, the Dow investment on petrochemicals, which is both job creation and an economic stimulant. Uh, you saw their new carbon capture and storage um, plan coming out. So I do think that this COP is a little bit different than 2015, where there was very much um, a sole singular focus, which was addressing the, the climate emergency. Here in the, today's landscape, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch at COP29 um, the other elements that are in play. So the geopolitical um, elements of war and all of that, um, you know, the the you or the situation in Ukraine, uh, Israel and Palestine. Um, I think that's definitely, especially because it is in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. So I think we're gonna see um maybe a different tone come out of it. But I do think what you're gonna see from this government is championing how they actually have a great track record on carbon emissions. Um, we're actually doing better than, you know, in comparison to the Canadian record. And so what you're going to see is, I think, again, similar to what you saw when Minister Savage, Sonia Savage, went to Egypt last year for COP29, is again, driving that, that we want to be global leaders in this. We're working towards this, but we're going to do it while still keeping um, in mind the natural resources that have given us the opportunity to be uh, so well positioned economically and being able to, to um, be an economic driver for the rest of the country. Okay, so I will admit that the UCP has continued to make progress in terms of specific projects uh, related to decarbonization and investing in technologies that help us get there. But 
what I think is so unfortunate is that at the same time, like we saw an ethylene cracker announced or an ethylene uh, project announced earlier this week, that is a huge deal for Alberta. And I feel all of this is undermined by uh, Daniel Smith's invocation of the Sovereignty Act, basically saying to the world that we, this isn't important to us. And like, I think that's unfortunate for Alberta. I think that's unfortunate for the UCP is that not everyone, especially on a world stage, understands the dynamics of Alberta or the, the political nuance of Canada. And that this is what they hear, like the story of the Sovereignty Act and that Alberta is so opposed to decarbonizing its grid that it's willing to take the federal government to court, that, that Daniel Smith's threatening to go to jail. Um, I just think that is a terrible reputation to take to the world stage. And see, I, I disagree. I think that that's showing the ability to have an Alberta-made solution, recognizing what our resources are, but while continuing investment. Um, you and I both know that you know you 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 have a calendar. You plan out your announcements. You're leading it into it. Um, you know, you're leading up to going to COP. That was probably planned. They didn't plan that they were going to have to do a motion and amend the the Sovereignty Act. So. Um, I, I don't, I think this is one of those unplanned things that might've stolen the, the message of the day and, and got more coverage than, and less than they would have wanted for the Dow announcement. But I, that's something that like sometimes in government, um, you can't control. And I suspect we're going to continue to talk about this and the diversification and looking at the technologies and leveraging petrochemicals, et cetera, for, for time to come. And that's also part of the, the post-COP um, media veil that I think, you know, or during that we'll see her give. I just think there's not, it's not a great message to go with. Like when we went in 2015, we went with a really strong message. We went with a message to the world that Alberta was the, one of the most progressive energy uh, producing jurisdictions in the world. I don't know what Daniel Smith is looking to get out of her visit to Dubai, other than perhaps another opportunity to take a swing at Minister Guibault, because I know they're scheduled to meet there, and then to come and report back on that from a world stage. I don't think there's much in terms of um, partnership for Alberta to go and get this time around. What do you think? I mean, I, I can't list who I think exactly to the point. I think that the premier should use every opportunity um, to to go after what Trudeau is trying to either announce or bring forward as resolutions, because it's a perfect example of like, well, if you're going to start, you know, negotiating and sitting with people about what this looks like internationally, why can't you do it nationally at home? And so I do think that that's one of the, the opportunities that she'll have. But again, I think that Alberta still and continues to have an incredible story about using our natural resources while diversifying our energy market. But I do think a lot of this is going to get lost um, generally for everyone of what the outcome of, of COP conference is because of um, some of the geopolitical items that we're going to see kind of maybe overshadowing some of the, the feel the feel-good stories. Yeah. And I mean, those can be opportunities as well, right? Like uh, nobody wants the world or any jurisdiction to be, be to be in these positions, but it has opened up conversations about energy security, which of course opens opportunities for Alberta and, uh, you know, uh, our ability to export to other countries or build up our own energy security. Um, so there may be opportunities. Uh, again, like you said, unfortunate that all of that is overshadowed by 
the gun that's been placed on the mantle in Alberta Sovereignty Act. Well, that is episode five of the discourse. Next week is our last of our pilot series and also the Alberta legislature will rise as they adjourn for the holiday season next week. Um, thanks for listening. You can find us on social media. You can find us on X and you can find us on Instagram at the discourse pod. And of course, watch for next week's episode. First thing Friday morning. The discourse is hosted by Cheryl Oates and Erica Baroudis. Follow on Instagram at the discourse pod. Subscribe to the discourse on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.